Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes completely eradicating not just reducing completely eradicating i believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for mondays not fridays and get to do their most meaningful work the aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content but instead shift the context under which you operate this podcast is titled choosing leadership because that is what leadership is a choice In each episode I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices which are not always easy and comfortable but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership at the end i will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast and with that let's get started jacqueline is the founder and ceo of howdy.com in the interview she emphasizes the importance of connecting people with opportunities building strong relationships and highlights how early sales activities and customer conversations bootstrapped her company she also touches on personal aspects such as her unconventional path into entrepreneurship being a positive leader and the unique hobby of breeding longhorns on a ranch outside austin texas overall the interview reflects her resilience optimism and a commitment to creating impactful leadership experiences hi jacqueline Welcome to the Choosing Leadership podcast. Hi, Sumit. So nice to be here. Excited to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. Can you start by sharing a little bit about what keeps you occupied these days and a bit more about yourself? <laughs> yes, of course. Of course. So my name is Jacqueline Samira. I am the founder and CEO of Howdy.com. I started the business in 2018. We now have a little over 250 employees and uh, we have raised a little bit over 21 million in capital. What keeps me up at night? What doesn't keep me up at night? All parts of the business. I will say that right now, specifically, we are changing our marketing strategy going into 2024. So that is what has been keeping me up at night lately. Mm. Yeah. And we will come to that. But before that, can you share a bit more of your backstory? What got you into entrepreneurship and starting Howdy.com? Yeah, definitely. So to give you like the shortest, most in-depth version of it, when I graduated university in 2008, it was a housing crisis. It was very hard to get a job. I was an economics major. I wanted to go into banking. In the United States, there were no banks hiring people out of college. So I got any job I could, which was a sales job. It took me a year and a half to get that sales job. And by the time I did, I was so grateful for the opportunity that I was working really hard to be successful in that opportunity. Luckily, I got promoted. My hard work paid off. And I just kept moving up the ladder to the point where 
I had said to myself, gosh, what I want to be able to do is help connect people with opportunities. That is like my lifelong dream to be able to do that because I struggled so hard for it myself for a year and a half after college. Mm. My opportunity that I was working with at the time moved me to Austin, Texas. And in Austin, Texas, there was emerging tech scene. The wonderful fact about Austin with this emerging tech scene, it was having this buzz. And so I knew I had to get into it. My background, my parent, my mom's a computer engineer, so I've always had an affinity for technology. What I did is I married my tech acumen with my sales acumen, and I ended up leading sales teams for tech companies. And when the tech boom was happening, especially all throughout the United States, we started to see a huge shift of companies come to Texas 2015 to 2018. What ended up happening is that a lot of capital was coming here, but we didn't have all the talent that we needed. So at that time, I said, this is the opportunity where I can go. I can connect people that are looking for opportunities with the opportunities because there was an imbalance of supply and demand. And I was looking at all the solutions. Most of the solutions were overseas. They were in Eastern Europe. They were in India. They were in Asia. Um, and it didn't work with startups in the United States. And so I looked to South America at the time and there wasn't a good solution. And so that's what got me to start Audi.com was to connect all of Latin America with U.S. tech opportunities. Mm. Yeah. And if I understand you correctly, sales was not your preference, right? You wanted to go into banking? Yes, correct. I did not want to go into sales. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it was the only, only job hiring. Yeah. And so I two questions, right? So one is when you got into sales, which is not what you wanted to do, how was your reaction to that? Were you accepting it? Were you resisting it? Uh, and then now... And now, after the fact, in hindsight, how do you see that skill? Because I think it's a very important skill for entrepreneurs. How do you see that path that, or what you learned, how you grew, uh, and which allowed you to actually maybe, or helped you in, the, in your journey as an entrepreneur? Yes, great question. I'll answer the last question first. It was the best thing that ever happened to me, and I'll explain a little bit why in a second. But when I did go into sales, I was so grateful for the opportunity because it had taken me a year and a half to get a job. And through that year and a half, after graduating university, you're so excited. You're ready to start the world, start in the real world. And I couldn't get a job to save my life. Literally, I had to move in with my aunt. It was a mess. And so when I finally got the opportunity, the first sense, the first feeling was relief. I was so grateful. But give it. And I'm seeing my friends. I'm seeing my peers finally start to get jobs with banking, start, finally start to get the things that they wanted to do. And there was a tremendous amount of envy. There was jealousy. There was resentment. There's all those negative emotions that come up because when you invest in something for so long and want something and life throws you a curve and you have to deal with those emotions. Otherwise, you're just bottling them down. So I experienced them, but I never lost sight of the gratitude for the opportunity that I had. And so I think you can live in this dual world where on one end, you can accept disappointment, but on the other end, and still invest, still have this sense of gratitude. And in hindsight, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I gained such valuable skills that has only helped me now being an entrepreneur. In fact, going through Y Combinator, which is the preeminent accelerator, the thing that surprised me the most was for three months, the whole course structure, I'm going to be a little, I'm going to exaggerate a little bit, but it really felt like all YFC was teaching engineers how to sell, mm. which is really funny to me. Yeah. Can you share a bit more about the early stages of startup, starting your company, right? Where did those skills kill prove in very handy? What were some 
early wins or early breakthroughs that you would not have otherwise. I believe that they, there is this whole adage, if you build it, they will come. And I have a different perspective because to me, sales is a solution to a problem. And what I did before building the thing, I had this idea, I had this concept in my mind of what I wanted to do. The sales acumen I had just told me the first step is not building it. The first step is not investing in Latam or going down to Latam. The first step is talking to people and communicating with potential customers and prospects. I had this problem that it, I couldn't find top talent for the startups I was working with, but did everybody else have that problem? And so I talked to hundreds of people. I interviewed a couple dozen of them. And through those conversations, through those early pre-sales activities, I had a really clear picture of the pain points and the solution that people would be happy with. So once I got that, I got verbal commitments from people to be my trial customers. Mm. And they basically helped me bootstrap the company because otherwise I would have had to accept capital early on. And I was able to bootstrap the company for three years. So by the time I got into YC, we were already doing three and a half million in revenue. And I had a huge uh, power. I had a huge position of power in negotiating with investors, in negotiating with the terms that I wanted, yeah. rather than just accepting anybody that came at me willing to give me money. Yes, yes. And I speak with a lot of founders who are in the process of raising funds. And I always see this hierarchy or they place themselves uh, at a lower pedestal than the investor, right? Because either they lack the confidence or as you said, they lack the power of, of attraction of revenues behind them. Can you share what did that uh, early period did to your confidence? So I, if I were to talk through my resume, I started with a big company where I was just one of many. Then I moved to a mid-sized startup. And that big company, I ultimately got promoted where I was managing a budget of 28 million and was responsible for 28 million. Then I went to a mid-sized startup that was doing 4 million in revenue. I helped them get to 12 million. Then from there, I was on a founding team where they had zero dollar in revenue and I helped get them to 6 million in revenue. And so all of those like early experiences gave me the confidence to say, okay, before I didn't know how to manage this amount of money or before I didn't know how to take something from zero to one but I have this experience. So I did go into it with the confidence of being able to take it from nothing to something. But where I was insecure and where it was really hard for me was the risk I was personally taking. Like I said, I was bootstrapping and I wasn't using other people's capital. I was using my own savings account. And there are just early things that inexperienced entrepreneurs aren't aware of. There are tax consequences. There are costs that you're just not budgeting for. And so there was the huge error I made six months into the business that personally cost me $40,000, which like I didn't have a lot of money saved at the time. I had, I was, I had personally saved around 150000 to bootstrap the business myself. And that was a huge chunk of that. So that significantly reduced the runway we had to be successful. So it wasn't necessarily insecurity on the sales side, but it was more just not knowing the things I didn't know in, in everything else. Yeah. Yeah. And oftentimes I say that it's not about having the right resources, but being resourceful in the moment. Can exactly. you show me another example of since then, and now, especially now that you are in a growth path of a situation where you had to be resourceful beyond what you think that you were capable of? Oh, 
this is a joke I used to do to myself when I was younger. I used to save money in places that I would intentionally forget. So I would put away a little bit of money here, put away a little bit of money here, or in this like high yield savings account. And I would call it, I'm hiding money for myself. And I was, it was March of 2020. So we have been in the business for a year and a half at the time. And I was pregnant with my first child. And we were about to run out of money. We had about one month left. And I personally had $400 in my savings account or in my checking account, you name it, whatever. (laughs) And here I am about to give birth, which babies are very expensive. Everything around that is very expensive. What happens in March of 2020? We all know it was COVID. The shutdown happened. I had a baby shower where I was like super excited to get all these gifts that I I wasn't planning on buying myself. Everything got canceled and I was freaking out because I didn't know. I didn't know how I was going to pay for the business. Everybody, because we're a hiring business, everybody Mm. was hiring. I was about to go on maternity leave. I only had $400 and it was just like this spark came in and (laughs) something told me, Jacqueline, go find the hidden money, go find the hidden money for yourself. And I had just remembered the various bank accounts. And I think I had around $5,000 that just, I had totally forgot that I put away several years prior that I came back and was able to use that to carry me through to the next couple of months. And it was such relief. But then this is why it was so beautiful because had I not had that and had I not hit May when my son was born, that, that was great. But aside from that, our business took off at the exact same time the exact same time because I think what happened two months after the shutdowns is everybody realized this is the new normal. However, we're all working remotely now. And so what was a roadblock for us before shattered and we were already down a lot in America. We already had two offices down there. We were there. South America had closed their borders. No one could get in there and you had to be in person to set up businesses. So we had this early arriver advantage And from there, we went, we skyrocketed. So it was in that like moment of insane pressure and stress, thinking everything was just about to crumble and implode rather than thinking, woe is me. It was just, what can I do? Where, where, and, and the answers came to me. It sounds a little, I know, not (laughs) very smart or wise, but I think if you're open to receiving information, you will hear it if you're closed mm. off. If you feel like you're going to fail, you will fail. Yeah. Thank you for sharing this uh, very openly and also being more vulnerable about that. Uh, so you spoke about being a mother and uh, you're also a female founder, a female leader. I think we all know the percentage that uh, like investments uh, are actually going to female founders. So I want to ask you, right, through all of this, this period, and even from your like early start into sales and not getting what you wanted, how have you continued to invest and look after yourself so that then you can look after everybody else? I think that there are disadvantages, of course, too. We all know that there are disadvantages to being a female in the world of business. However, there are advantages too. And For me, rather than hyper-focusing or fixating on the things that are stacked against me, I would rather look and invest on the things that are going for me. And if there's not a lot of resources, but there are resources, there's not a lot of people giving capital, but there are people giving capital. And so I 
chose to live in this idea of let's focus on the things that are going really well and the things that will support me and will invest in me rather than going up against those barriers. And it's only ever served me because what it does is it helps surround me by people that really truly want to see me and the company succeed. Not that I'm just like a diversity number or a gender number or whatever. They truly want to help me in the same way that I want to help others. And so it's this idea of constantly paying it forward. And again, it should feel easy. It, it should feel easy. If it feels too hard or if there's too much friction, that is the world's telling you that is not right. That's not the right path forward. So if it doesn't feel easy, and I think about that expression when I think about all things, when I think about colleagues that I work with, when I think about when we're trying to make a sale or when we're trying to introduce a new product, if it's not instantly hitting, if the relationship is not instantly working, if you don't feel inspired and you're both being lifted up, then it's probably not, you're probably forcing things together that shouldn't be together. And I think we're currently in this mentality that we should be all things to all people. And I, I live in a mentality where it's okay. It's okay if there's friction. Let's just go, let's just go down the easy, happy path. Yeah, thank you for adding that. So now coming back to your current setup, right? Can you share what is it that you are headed towards in the next few years and what are big challenges or what are what keeps you up at night these days? Yeah, so I was, we had raised 18 million in August of 2022 with the idea that we were going to spend a significant portion in sales and marketing. Prior to that, all of our growth had been through just our network, our relationships, or word of mouth referrals. So we had explosive growth just through that way, which was incredible. And so I said to our investors, I'm like, wow, can you imagine the kind of growth we would have if we just invested in sales and marketing because we had never done that before? And so in 2023, that's what we did. We hired a head of sales. We went big on demand generation. We went big on online marketing campaigns. And it wasn't that it wasn't right. But it wasn't necessarily right for us. We ended up spending, gosh, close to $800,000, which is an insane amount of money in reflection on digital campaigns, on digital marketing. And while it did give us customers and we, and there will probably ultimately be ROI, it's just not the path I want to go down. Nor do I think, again, it's not the easy, happy path. So what we're really doing in 2024 is Going back to the basics of what worked with us, which is relationships, which is people getting to know people. So we're going to be investing big. We're based in Austin, Texas. Rather than trying to market to the whole United States, there's thousands of companies here that could utilize our services. So we're going big on event marketing. We're going big on network marketing. We're going big on sharing our resources, sharing our knowledge, investing in white papers, sharing that information with the world, because obviously we have tremendous knowledge when it comes to expanding your team in South America. So we want to share that. So those are the things we'll be focusing on. And then as that scales and as that grows, we'll grow the business to support that rather than the inverse of what we were trying to do last year. Yeah, yeah. And as your team itself grows, right? So can you share a bit more about what internal challenges does it present as your team grows? And also as a leader, you cannot do everything alone beyond a certain point, right? So how are you creating a set of leaders who can be then the cheerleaders of your vision, of your company, and then bringing, bringing that attention? I think that like in the early stages, only the CEO does. Yes, 
I had a, an excellent co-founder. He came on board a little bit after me. He is the technical. He is my technical counterpart. And we have great mutual respect and admiration for each other. And so where I have gaps in knowledge, he has knowledge. Where I have knowledge, he has gaps in knowledge. And so we complement each other really well. And we support each other really well. With that said, so that's the first key. Find a, a counterpart to you that fills in the gaps. And then you got to do the next layer. So something that I think we did really well that I see a lot of startups fail is we found two leaders for our company very early on. And we had tapped them like, this is going to be our head of operations. This is going to be our head of engineering. They're incredible. However, we didn't know. We didn't know we had to work with them. We had to understand. And the business at the time didn't need another executive. They needed individual contributors. They needed a, a, an individual manager. So we actually hired them as an operations manager and as an engineering manager, even though they were previous directors and VPs at companies that they were at before, with the goal where I said, look, there's no one above you besides Frank and I. And the goal is to never have anyone above you besides us. However, we need you to start on the ground floor. We need you to be an individual contributor and we need to grow together. And they have constantly blown me away and surprised me every step of the way. And it was nice to be able to reward them for their successes rather than put them in this high role and have more expectations and disappointments. And so I think if you can set people up to succeed, then you're putting yourself in a better position. And then if they don't succeed, you don't have to terminate them because let's just say one of these people didn't work out and they weren't the leader that we interviewed them to be. We're not perfect interviewers. If they weren't the leader that you didn't think they were going to be, maybe they're still a great individual contributor. Maybe they're still a great manager and you don't have to terminate them or demote them because they're already doing a great job in the role. They just turned out to not be executive level or leadership level. Huh. And so I think as founders or early stage leaders, it's imperative that even if you tap, that's going to be my COO. You don't need to give them that title early on, especially the egoless people. They won't care about that. The thing they care about is power and influence. Do I have the ability to make the decision? Do I have the influence to make the decision? And they will always have that if they have a direct line to the CEO. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What would you say are your biggest strengths as a leader? This is a good one. I, I mean, thought about this in, this in a little bit. I am very positive. I'm very optimistic. I always see solutions. So if there are problems presented, I, the first thing I'm doing is solutioning. How are we going to overcome this problem? How are we going to mm -hmm. And I think a lot of my sales acumen came, taught me how to think that way. Because when you're interacting with a prospect, the first thing they teach you is how do you overcome objection? How do you overcome this? How do you overcome that? And so that early tutelage got me thinking in the same way as it relates to my yeah. business. And so people see me as not as anyone that's going to come down on them or anyone that's going to be angry. They see me as, oh my gosh, she's going to help lead me to the solution. So that's really good. The positivity, I think, is really good. We went through a couple hard years, in fact, and maintaining that, look, I see the light. Let's keep following that light mentality I think really helps keep people in the clouds rather than because things can spiral into toxicity really quickly. And then I hope this conversation has showed you I'm very open and very transparent. I'm forthcoming with information. And I think that helps people recognize that they always know where they stand, which gives a sense of security and safety. 
I'm also like that when it comes to hard feedback or constructive criticism. I can't sit with something that bothers me. I have to share it with the person right away because if I sit with it, then I'm staying up all night and I'm bothered by it all night. And I've learned early on that I need to address something that is not ideal very quickly rather Mm -hmm. than holding it in. Yeah, yeah. And are there any dark sides to these trends uh, that leads to some kind of pressure? And then how do you deal with that? As the company has gotten bigger, one of the downsides is because I'm family and welcoming and vulnerable, there has been a problem with separating the fact that I'm still the CEO and I'm still the boss. And sometimes I have to unfortunately remind people, and that's not a really fun conversation for me to have because it feels very much like I'm the boss, listen to me. But there is a certain respect that the role requires. And there is a certain ultimate say that has to happen in order for the business to function. And so by being this approachable and this friendly, it it can sometimes blur that line. So you have to be more decisive or you have to be open that you have that decisiveness and everybody needs to understand that. Exactly. Exactly. I can give you a perfect example. We were talking about cutting the marketing spend completely. And I had mentioned it a couple of times and and this happened just yesterday. And uh, our head of marketing was talking about the marketing spend that we were going to do for the next two weeks. And I had to get on a call with her and I said, hey, it wasn't an option. It was a statement. And and I didn't say it broadly or anything. and, And it was just totally a misunderstanding. But the fact that we we're cutting the marketing spend was not a suggestion. It was, we are cutting the marketing spend. It is going to zero. It is going to zero today. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with all the accountability, right? Because you have to be decisive in order to be accountable for yes. uh, not just your investors, but all your employees and all your customers as well. How do you deal with that stress or that pressure for yourself so that you don't crumble under the weight of it, right? So it's easy to act from a behavioral point of view. But you, you, we can keep our, like, what is happening inside totally hidden and nobody knows until, like, we totally crumble down. So can you share a bit more of, like, how do you uh, take care of yourself, put yourself first so that when you do that, when you have to step in, when you have to step back, you do that uh, holistically rather than just like an act? I believe this is where having a really strong co-founder and mm. also just personal partner in life comes into place. Frank is the first person I call anytime I'm frustrated or if we leave the meeting or I leave the meeting so that I don't react to the teammates, I can use him as my sounding board. I don't use anybody else in the company as my sounding board because it would be somewhat inappropriate. Um, Outside of him, I have my husband at home who is tremendously supportive and helpful. And between having both of them, it gives me one, different perspectives that I might have. Mm-hmm. And it gives me a safe place to share frustration so that I can then walk away from that thinking clearly. Mm-hmm. So I think the most important thing to think to yourself is, do I have a safe space I can go to? And that safe space can't be anybody below you. It has to be a co-founder level type person. It could be an investor. It could be a mentor. It could be your significant other. It could be a best friend, but it, mm-hmm. it it has to be somebody that doesn't report to you, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for adding that. And since you mentioned, right, being a mother, you mentioned your husband. 
Can you share something else about you personally, which most people that you work with are not aware of? I don't know if most people that I work with aren't aware of this fact because I talk about it a lot. But my husband has four kids from a previous marriage. We have two kids together. So in total, we have six wonderful kids. And because we have such a big family, we ended up buying a ranch outside of Austin, Texas. And we are breeding longhorns. And so we have, gosh, now we have seven longhorns. Mm -hmm. Last year we had two. So who knows how many we'll have next year. But it is is a really fun hobby. So if you follow me on Instagram, you definitely will see my longhorns. If you don't, then you definitely would be surprised to hear that I have those. Yeah. So what you do outside of work is also a wonderful preparation for you to do your work with. Absolutely. I think that getting reconnected with nature is very important because we are behind the screen every second of every day. We are, the workplace has moved to screens. It is important to just touch grass every now and then, yeah. to breathe fresh air, to appreciate the things in life that we have. And I do value that for sure. Yeah. And I think it, it reminds us that like we, we are part of that nature itself, right? We are not meant to sit in walls and buildings. And just having that, as you said, touching the grass or having animals, uh, human beings around you, um, without you even realizing that uh, biologically changes your your emotions, your chemicals, and you feel less stressed, you feel more happy, many times even unconsciously. Yeah, so thank you for uh, adding that. I will say, Sumet, that one of the things that's a priority to me, because we're actually moving back into an office in January. Mm-hmm. In Austin, we had uh, co-working spaces, but we're getting an, an office. And the thing that was most important to this office is that I had a door to the outside because something else I do to help relieve frustration, if I don't want to talk about it, is right now when I'm working from home, I just walk into my backyard and I just sit down and I just sit down and I don't have any distractions and it allows me to think and to reconnect with myself. And so the office spaces are set up in a world that also creates this disconnect and this frustration and this just almost like tense reaction. So that's why they say, go take a walk, go do walking meeting, go do these things that get you outside. So if you don't have the luxury of being able to step outside, take the elevator down to the front door and get a walk because it really, truly reconnects you in a way that makes solutioning a lot easier. Yeah. And I often open the window in my room, even if if I can't do anything else, uh, like step outside, even just getting chilly air on my face, it can create that that smell and you remember that you're part of nature. So thank you exactly. for uh, adding that. Yeah. So before we wrap up, right, one last question for you that if you could wake up tomorrow having any new ability or skill, what would you like that skill or ability to be? I have always wanted to speak every language of the world. Hmm. And the reason being is it opens up every, each language you learn unlocks a portion of your brain that didn't know exists and it allows you to interpret information in a unique and interesting way. And so I think that the most like the most powerful thing you could do is unlock the world's information in every single language to be able to understand every perspective. And that is what I believe the world needs more of, just empathy and deeper understanding. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, I have myself traveled all over the world. And one thing which I would like to add is that like, we don't need a different language to connect with people, sometimes a smile, sometimes just open arms, sometimes just reflecting, even if we don't understand their words, simply trying to get their emotional state can allow us to to connect and uh, to, to what you're saying that language yeah. certainly helps. But in the end, we are just 
part of nature. And even with different languages, we can still communicate. We can still feel each other. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That is beautiful. Beautifully said. Exactly. Because I've even seen your smile. It makes me feel so happy. Yeah. Yeah. So before we and anybody who is listening who wants to reach out to you or find out more about what you're doing, what is the best way for them to do? They can find me on LinkedIn, Jacqueline Samira. I talk a lot there. They can also find me on Instagram at Audi Jacqueline. Thank you. Thank you for sharing these. I will make sure to include these in the show notes. Uh, and as we end, I would like to wish you for everything that lies ahead. And once again, thank you for sharing so openly and honestly. Awesome. So great to chat with you. Same here. It was a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction, not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.